Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly happy hour today on Trending. It's so good to be with you. And this is your opportunity to ask a therapist anything. We talk about happiness. Often, many people today see therapists, whether... You feel comfortable sharing that publicly or not, or maybe you've been recommended to see a therapist. Joe Sakura is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's also an author, as well as you may know him from hosting the Joe Sakura show here on Relevant Radio in the past. Uh, we're going to talk about resilience, building up resilience in your life to be able to endure life's ups and downs. We'll also talk about parenting techniques. Are they, are they not helping kids today? Especially with this idea of responsibility. What do you think about responsibility when it comes to how you raise your kids? Or maybe how you took on responsibility. We'll also take your questions. We'd love to take your questions. Again, ask a therapist anything. The number is 1-888-914-9149. And also go ask on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're there. Just follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And we'll be happy to take your question if you don't want to call us again, number's 1-888-914-9149. Joe Sikora is here with us, licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California. Joe, welcome back to Trending. It is awesome to be with you. And I am particularly excited to talk about this topic of resilience. I was so excited when you said, Joe, how about we have a conversation about resilience? And I'll tell you why I think it's so important, especially right now is because people are really suffering. People are really struggling, not just older people, but younger people, I would say, in particular, are really suffering right now from anxiety. Teen suicide is way up, anxiety, depression. And one of the things that we can do is to actually teach people, young people, older people, resilience. And, and so I just think this is probably my favorite topic to talk about, and I'm so glad you're bringing me on to do it. You, I have seen a sneak peek of your forthcoming book. I know it's going to be a little while until it's out, but you talk about it in your book. And it really stood out to me because I had the opportunity to read through this. And resilience, like you said, is what so many people are struggling with. I see trends in the culture right now with people such as the retired Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, who has appealed to so many young men, young millennial men in particular. One of the big things he preaches is resilience, having this level of resilience. So let's start with, can you define what resilience is and can you give some examples, maybe in particular of how millennials are struggling with resilience today? Well, I think it's a sense of feeling overwhelmed, that life is just too much and you feel like you've hit that wall. I, I think about it like this, metaphorically. I've, I've worked out my whole life. I've been a runner my whole life. And the, the funny thing is, I hate running while I'm running. <laughs> it's, I go, this is a stupid sport. Why would anybody run? And yet I go running like I a couple times a week. 
And every time I'm running up my hill to go do wind sprints and it's up on the dirt path and everything, I'm saying to myself, I can't do it. I can't make it. But I keep going. I say, one more step, Joe, one more step. Keep going. And then I get to the top and I feel really great. And I think where whatever your struggle is right now, if it's emotional, it's psychological, it's that sense of I just can't do it. And you really can. And, and this is where I want to begin is by saying that resilience is something that you can learn. You know, very often God calls us, right? right? Central to our Christian faith. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, you can't pick up your cross and not have strength. And you can learn strength. And, and that's what I think we need to teach, especially young people, by giving them projects, by doing things that challenge us, that push us outside of the comfort envelope so that we can do what is difficult. So this is that's the first thing that I want to say is resilience really is something that we can learn. Okay, so if we're talking about resilience as a tactic that can be learned, you're kind of cutting past that idea that people say, oh, well, it's just personality. Some people can endure more, some people can endure less. What's the difference between endurance and resilience? Well, again, a, a great a great question. And, and let me begin by saying, we understand in the world of psychology, we talk about fixed traits versus a growth mindset. And the fixed trait is, this is it. I'm good at basketball, or I'm good at reading, or I'm good at math, or I'm all these things. But that's not true. What we understand from, from psychology and through research is that we can actually continue to learn new things. You know that saying, you can't teach a dog old new tricks? Wait, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> and that simply isn't true. God created us to learn to grow until we draw our final breath. And I, I love to provide examples from scripture. One of the best examples we can get is Abraham, Father Abraham, right? He, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, the funny thing is, is Abraham, when God spoke to him, was about 90 years old. And he pointed out to God, the obvious, I can't make children, <laughs> you know, I'm 90. Now, this actually happened 10 years later when re when Abraham actually, and Sarah, his wife, she became pregnant and she was like 90. So I, I think this is the first thing to really understand. We both, we can understand from both science and scripture that no matter how old you are, it's never too late to learn, including becoming strong. So I, I love some of these examples, you know, Peter, the apostle, right? He was probably well into his middle years when Jesus called him to be an apostle. He was a fisherman. So we can go on and on. There's tons of these examples that we can learn, and we have to accept the fact that we can continue to grow. That's the first thing. You might feel like you've hit a wall, like I do when I'm running pretty much every time, but you can continue. You can do so much more, especially with God living, breathing, and moving. I love that example you gave of Abraham, because I never thought about that, you know, to be told, okay, you're going to have a child. Like we hear that story and we hear the doubt, but to really think about this idea of, as you mentioned, fixed traits versus a growth mindset, that in our faith, we always are called to have that growth mindset. Otherwise, we wouldn't have faith or grow in any knowledge of the mystery of who yep. God is. So, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timmy here on Relevant Radio. That's Joe Socorro, licensed marriage and family therapist. 
Joe, so how do we grow in the skill of resilience to be able to endure those challenges day to day? Because so many people are struggling with happiness. And I think resilience, as you mentioned before, is the key for many of us, in particular children today. Yeah, I think one of the simple things that we can do is to sort of reframe and take notice of the words that we use when speaking to ourselves when we've hit that wall. So in other words, I, I think we have to challenge the whole world of failure. So let's say, Tim Ree, you know, you want to go back to school, but you don't, you know, you get turned down by school A and then school B and then school C. The question is, how do you speak to yourself in the face of that adversity? You could either say, I failed to get into school or I have experienced a setback. I haven't gotten there yet. So I think just becoming aware, first of all, of the words that you use with yourself when you're encountering difficulties or picking up your cross is, what am I saying to myself? So when we say things like, oh, I'm a failure, that has obviously a really negative connotation. That cuts to the quick. That goes to the soul. It's saying, I'm no good. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. But when you use the word setback instead, Setback is something that's temporary. Temporary. It's actually an opportunity to learn, to grow. It's like, I haven't gotten into this school, but maybe I haven't found the right school yet. So I, I think understanding what those words are that you use with yourself when you encounter difficulties, that's the first step is to really understand that self-talk. Can you give a, a little bit more of an example with regard to self-talk? Because I know this is something really important in therapy that is often taught. And I think that inner dialogue is a huge part of what gets in the way of many people being able to endure day to day. And I love that technique of self-talk because we are very negative or maybe too prideful. And so being able to tone back and alter that conversation is really important. So how do you start doing that and not feel like a weirdo when you're like building yourself up, even though you naturally do this, but now you're saying to change the narrative? Well, I talk to myself all the time and I'm proud of it, but <laughs> no, you, you might want to be careful. <laughs> I, but I mean those internal words. I mean, really making known, speaking that out loud. It's like when you encounter that setback, what do you say? I'm no good. I'm a loser. It will never happen. Those all or nothing kind of things that we say. That that words that we use, self-talk, believe it or not, is one of the most determining factors whether or not we'll experience success in life. And, and I don't mean just success like getting a higher paying job, but I mean actually having a relationship that thrives. So in other words, you're married, right? You're joyfully married, you're having children. But being a married person, you also know that marriage can be difficult. You're going to encounter difficulties. So your husband disappoints you. But let's say your husband disappoints you. He does whatever it is he does. And you gosh, say, oh, I'm really upset. Now, you could say to yourself, oh, this was a giant mistake. I should never have gotten married. Or you could say to yourself, wow, we're kind of disconnected here. But this is an opportunity for me and my husband to grow, to come together, to have a, to have a dialogue, and to see where we can both grow together in holiness and this relationship. So everything that we have, we always have a running dialogue within ourselves. And I think, again, as, as Catholics, as Christians, we have this great advantage because even if you've been raised with a lot of self-doubt and feelings of unworthiness or I'm not lovable, we know for sure our faith says you are lovable. 
you are good. You are made in my likeness and image. So we can always go back and counteract all of those negative words that tear us down and say, wait a second, let me begin with the premise that God loves me as I am. And from here, I can grow. I love that challenge to help change and alter that narrative when we are talking to ourselves, uh, that we're not allowing the failure, the self-doubt, the skepticism about faith or any of that to just overpower that conversation, that inner dialogue we have. If you have a question, it's licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura here with me on Trending during our weekly happy hour. What's getting in the way of your happiness? You have a question, we'll take it. The number's 1-888-914-9149. You can also ask now via social media if you don't want to give us a call the good old-fashioned way. Joe, when we're talking about resilience, you talk a little bit about neural pathways in the brain and how this contributes to developing skills. Can you talk a little bit about that in connection to resilience and skill building for those who might maybe be doubting the idea of building uh, resilience in their lives? Let me begin by going back to scripture again and giving an example, a wonderful example from scripture. And I could provide a hundred of them, literally, easily. But very often we look at ourselves and we say, gosh, I just don't have it. I don't have what it takes. But we have a lot of examples. Again, read Exodus, the story of Moses becoming a leader of God's chosen people to lead the people out of slavery into the promised land. But what did Moses say to God when God said, Moses, go lead these people? He came up with a whole bunch of excuses. And quite honestly, they were legitimate. Moses was looking at his own life. He was looking at his own personal skills and evaluating them and coming up short. He tells God, God, I can't do this. I stutter. (laughs) I have a bad way with words. I'm not good with words. I'm wanted for murder. I can't go back and confront Pharaoh. So he had a lot of legitimate, quite honestly, excuses. But God said, no, Moses, I'm with you. And I think that's where we have to start as well. We can look at our own life and say, I don't have what it takes, but what if God was working through you? What if God could give you the strength to overcome? What if God can actually give you what is necessary to confront your fears? And and that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of scripture. We can look at ourselves and see the weakness, but as the apostle Paul says, where I am weak, there I am strong, because where there is less of me, there is more of God. So even if you feel like you're a failure, being aware of the words that you're using, being aware of how God can move through you, that makes all the difference. I remember some of the, when I first gave like my p- first public talk, somebody said, Joe, would you talk on this? And I, I had the knowledge and everything else, but I was scared to death. But what happened after the first talk and the second talk and the 10th talk and the 50th talk is all of a sudden I discovered, oh, this is a skill that I've been able to develop. I didn't have it initially. We don't come out of the womb, great opera singers or great athletes or great theologians, but we can grow. And again, the science says you can do this throughout your lifetime. So... As we're talking about these growth skills that are so important in the connection to happiness, a lot of what you're saying is it's a change of mindset, first of all. It's believing that you can do it. It's 
engaging in that self-talk, but then can you give an example, even the connection to the running of how, okay, let's take a concrete moment where, okay, I want to develop the discipline of exercise, or maybe I want to develop the discipline of saying no to things in general. How would you go about doing that in those types of scenarios? I think the most important thing that we can do is we we need to set ourselves up for success. We need to make the journey actually the worthwhile thing, not just the destination. So let's use the the getting in shape, uh, you know, example. If you wanted to become a runner, let's say you wanted to run a marathon someday, you know, don't go out and say, today I'm going to run 11 miles. <laughs> I'm going to say, not if you're a runner. You get out and maybe you put your shoes by the front door and you walk around in your shoes. You get comfortable with them. And then maybe the next day you say, I'm going to jog to the end of the street and then walk home. And the next day you add a few yards. So you have to address the fear in your brain because anytime we try to do anything new or important even, right? Enter into a loving relationship or go back to school, whatever it is, that fear mechanism gets alerted, gets turned on in the brain and says, ah, don't do this. Don't do this. It's scary. It's brand new. So we have to actually gently enter into new activities, especially if it's a big goal. Again, going back to our running metaphor, let's say you want to run a marathon. You got to start very slowly and build up because that addresses probably the most important aspect of running that marathon, which is the fear is actually creating that positive mindset. It's like, Yes, I'm not ready to do it this week or next month, but maybe in two years, if I slowly move into it, if I develop the muscle, the lung capacity and everything else, then I can run that marathon. So I think how we go about it, the strategy of actually approaching doing something new is really important. And the best thing, people call it baby steps. I don't like the term baby steps because it sounds like a pejorative. <laughs> incremental, incremental. Stuff. Incremental stuff. <laughs> yes. There you go. That's exactly right. Yeah. I love this show because it's saying, okay, you can build resilience, change your mindset, change your self-talk. But what you're saying is we need to face our fears and start making those small incremental steps toward that thing that we need to build resilience toward. So maybe, you know, tonight or now is a good time to think through those things. Like where, what are areas I need to build resilience in? It might be in a conversation, you know, conversations that are triggered with your spouse and you don't have a lot of tolerance for the things that your spouse might be saying. Well, what's the fear? What's the frustration in that moment? And how do I start with, you know, holding my tongue or maybe working on listening or working on communicating in small ways in scenarios such as that. Okay, so much I'd like to discuss on resilience, but I would like one last tip. If you're just joining us, that's Joe Secora, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can ask him a question now, ask a therapist anything. It's our weekly happy hour here on Trending. What's getting in the way of your happiness? Numbers 1-888-914-9149. So Joe, the question is this, if you have children, How do you teach them resilience? For example, maybe they're playing a sport or they're struggling with perseverance in homework. Uh, Maybe it might be, you know, I I grew up dancing and I remember my parents were really strict, especially my mom. You know, I'd want to quit, not quit, but maybe just not go consistently to class, to be lazy. And she was really, really encouraging to be consistent, to build that resilience of still going and doing the physically and sometimes mentally hard thing even when it was difficult. So how do you teach that to your kids today without uh, pushing too hard, but still developing that resilience in them? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, first of all, is everything is age appropriate. You wouldn't applaud and clap hands if I managed to eat my spaghetti dinner and not pour the spaghetti on my head, right? At this point, you say, Joe, we kind of expect that, right? But That's my day-to-day -day right now. One, yeah, you know, but maybe you're two year old who learns how to pick up his or her plate and, or three, maybe that's a little too young, but you know, these little tiny activities, we want to support effort. We, we don't want to applaud, you know, things that you can't change. So in other words, as a parent, you don't want to say, oh, you're so good looking. You're wonderful. I know that sounds funny, but we, we can do this as parents. We, we applaud and, and comment on things that we can't actually change. But what we want to do is actually support our kids' effort, you know, their, their willingness to keep trying new things. We have sometimes a bad relationship, again, with what we'd call, quote unquote, failure. I don't like to use that word. But if you're not willing to do something new, if you're, then, then you will never fall down. So if you play life really easy and you just say, I'm going to do with what, what is within my wheelhouse, I'm going to play the sports that I'm good at. But if I, Joe Sikora, said, oh, I'm going to learn dancing, yes, of course, I would, ex I would accept <laughs> and expect all kinds of ridicule from you, Tim Marie, and anybody else who knows anything about dance. But if you said, gosh, Joe, you're not a very good dancer today, but you're a better dancer today than you were yesterday. So we want to do this with our kids. We actually want to encourage them to try new things and to really applaud and support the things even when we see them not succeed, right? Because some people are just naturally good at something. But just like you said in your dance example, which is both psychologically challenging as well as physically challenging, you know, mom, your mom, let's just assume she was probably a really good mom and said, hey, Timmy, you're doing it. You're trying to do something really tough. And that's, that's what we got to focus on. Mm. I like that that challenge and that encouragement of plotting the effort as well. And even the things that are being failed at along the way, applauding the effort and not just things that aren't, aren't changeable. I like that you mentioned, you know, people really comment like, oh, my child's so wonderful looking. Maybe they'll focus too much on that and not applaud what they're trying in a certain area. And maybe someone reduces their self-worth because they didn't develop that resiliency and they reduce their self-worth to the way they look because that was the only thing that was ever complimented. And so their resilience in other areas isn't so strong, hence the snowflake generation. So this is why resilience is so important. Joe, you can be found at callingsong.com. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sikor. He also wrote a book on happiness, Divine Gravity, How Choosing Joy Lifted My Family from Death to Life. So we'll post a link on social media to that as well. If you have a question for Joe, we're taking questions with our therapists in-house today, 1-888-914-9149. We'll be right back during our weekly happy hour to dive more into the topic of happiness and personal responsibility. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Marriage and Family Therapist Joseph Kaur is with us today on Trending. We're going to talk about responsibility in just a little bit, but we have questions coming in. If you have a question for our licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Joseph Kaur, give us a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Claudia from Sacramento is on the line. Claudia, welcome to Trending. What's your question today for Joe? Hi. Um, my question is how how can you go back to rebuilding a healthy marriage when one of the spouses, in this case me, uh, it's really hard for me to be very, very honest, like transparent. He really is transparent, but I am not. And it's mm-hmm. hard for me to tell the truth when I have taken money from the account and that I shouldn't have had because we already had a conversation about it. But my impulses, like I have very impulsive, and I just buy things or whatever. And so we are separated for a year now, and I'm not sure if I want to go back because I don't want to mess up again the marriage. And um, he's very hopeful, and I do have hope in God too. Nevertheless, I don't trust myself and. And then it's really bad. It's it's, it's, it's it's just really bad. I just don't know how to deal with it. Mm, Claudia, mm. thank you for your trans for your transparency and talking to us and being so forthright with sharing your challenges. And know that we're praying for your marriage, Joe. So how do you handle, uh, you know, that honesty and rebuilding of a marriage, especially when you haven't been transparent? It has to do with money. Well, I want to point out the fact, first of all, thank you, Claudia, for calling. But the fact that you actually just called a radio station with thousands of people listening, saying that, hey, I'm guilty Mm -hmm. of not being transparent. Here you are being wonderfully transparent. So I know you took a real risk doing that. uh, And I want to congratulate you because I think that's really the first step. I think a lot of times when we find ourselves obsessive or compulsive, uh, we have to look back to, at the risk of sounding psychobabbly here, we have to look back at our childhood and see, where did I learn this? I, I think there was probably a time, Claudia, where you decided, unconsciously, you probably weren't aware of this consciously as a child, but where you said, it's not okay for me to be honest. It's not safe for me to be honest. Maybe you weren't allowed to make mistakes when you were a child. Maybe you were punished harshly. Maybe you were told you were no good. And so you develop this mindset that now you can't tolerate mistakes and you have this expectation that other people can't tolerate your mistakes. And you're saying your husband can't tolerate your making mistakes. But I'll quote the Apostle Paul here, Claudia. These aren't just the wise words of Joe Sikora. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7, I would say roughly. Look at those. We have all blown it. We all make mistakes. We have all sinned. And yet God gives us this wonderful opportunity to grow, to become more resilient, to become more holy. When we embrace what we've done, when we accept the fact of our mistakes, but we say we can go and grow from them. You're not stuck to be there. So I would say, if you can, give your husband the opportunity to actually take you back. If he says, I'm hopeful, I want you to come back, take advantage of that opportunity. You might have to learn how to love yourself, how to forgive yourself, because until you can do that, you probably will resist God uh, God forgiving you or your husband forgiving you. So I would really, and the second step is, 
I would go back. I would try to find a therapist who can help you really go back and understand, you know, those experiences that cause you to feel shame. I'm not good. I don't trust myself. I can't do this because I know this for a fact. I don't just say this. I'm not Pollyanna, um, but I know this for sure that you can change. You can change what you think about and believe about yourself. You can change your actions. That's God's call. And I've, I've seen it uh, in practice. I hope that helps. Praise God. And, and Joe, too, uh, just to Claudia, if you're married in the Catholic Church, which I'm assuming you are, given that you're calling us on Catholic Radio, but if not, you're welcome to no matter what. Um, I just want to encourage you to remember the grace of the sacrament of matrimony, that there is profound graces there. God wants you to be faithful to your spouse. He wants that permanence in marriage. And sometimes we need to take that time apart in really difficult circumstances to heal. But I want to encourage you to pray and remember the grace of the sacrament and the grace of reconciliation as well. That is such a healing bomb to any bad habit and sin we might have, whether it's impacting a marriage or anywhere else in our life. Turn to Christ at the same time as you're turning to sound therapist. So check out catholictherapist.com. There's also callingsong.com, which is Joseph Kors website as well. You're listening to Trending with Timurray here on Relevant Radio. If you have a question for a therapist, give us a call 1-888-914-9149. Joe, this question came in on Facebook. How do I stop nagging my husband? Joan's asking, we've been married eight years. He feels disrespected and nagged. She said, I try balancing, sharing my thoughts, needs, and the things that need to change and not criticizing him. But I often fail and really struggle when I say I won't bother him or I won't do something or complain about a particular thing. She said, he's very good at listening to me and my needs, but I know that with my ongoing criticism, it's caused him to shut down. And he says that to me sometimes as well. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do? Boy, that's a great question. You're getting a lot of great questions. I would say this. A lot of times when we find ourselves very critical of others, it's actually what we're doing is projecting what we feel about ourselves onto other people. It's kind of a fancy a term, projection. But what it means is we look inside of ourselves. And again, we're not necessarily conscious of this. Like, let's say... I'm no good, or let's just say you've been betrayed in your past or your childhood, whatever it is. So we develop this fear mindset that, oh, I'm not lovable, somebody's gonna leave. And then we take that and we put that out onto our spouse or our boyfriend, whoever it is. And we say, you're gonna leave, you're gonna leave. And then at some point, sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> that person says, oh, I'm so tired of this, you're, I'm out of here. Uh, but what I would say is look inside yourself. A lot of times we accuse other people of things that we don't like within ourselves. So if you're being nitpicky, let's say, uh, with your husband of seven, eight years and saying, gosh, he's such a slob, you know, maybe there's a part of your own life that you feel is slovenly that needs to be addressed. So I would say just, you know, rather than accusing him, rather than nitpicking, ask yourself, you know, what is it within me that I'm not willing to look at or don't want to look at? And that's a difficult process. That's a difficult journey. But that's what introspection is all about. You know, in prayer, you can do that. Lord, reveal to me my own sin, my own error. Because the more we actually really feel God's love, the more that we actually feel that loving presence of God, we feel loved, then we're less critical of other people. 
So I, I, I think that, you know, I mean, again, there's a lot of wonderful examples from Scripture. Paul the Apostle addressed this. He said, you know, quit this nitpicking, you know, beating people up over what they're eating at dinner. <laughs> you know, he was talking about food that was clean versus unclean. He said, your primary objective when you sit down to eat, basically, is to share the love of God, to share the love of Jesus. And so I, I would say make that your priority is to really share that love. But look at your own life and see what it is that you don't like in that. Focus on that. Grow from that. And you will probably find yourself accepting other people more. Jo Jeanette's calling. She's from Cedarsburg, Wisconsin. She has a question about her son. Jeanette, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Joe today? My question is, my son is a competitive gymnast, and at various times he's had mental blocks on doing skills that he's ready to do or he's done, but then he gets afraid to do it again. And his coaches are really good at working with him, but as a parent, what can I do to help him break through these mental blocks? I think, you know, competitive athletes, I, I have a real interest in that with some of the work I do as therapy because athletes that are really great, it's not necessarily because they're superior physical specimens. Really what separates those who are really spectacular at what they do, whether it's football or gymnastics or swimming, it is the mindset. And, and I think that the most important thing that you can do, again, at some point, it's really going to come down to him. It's going to be either something that he overcomes or he doesn't. But I think as a parent, what you can do is to really praise not necessarily the natural talent. Let's go ahead and assume that he's naturally talented, that he's a gifted gymnast and everything else, but is really focused on his ability, his persistence, his resilience. It's like, boy, I saw you fall off the rings but you got back up, you know, let him know that it's okay to make mistakes. What you really want to support is getting back up when he gets knocked down, literally as a gymnast, when he falls off the rings or, or the floor routine, whatever it is, applaud that, not that perfect performance, but that he's persisting in what he's doing. That would be my advice. Hmm. That's helpful. And even just thinking, I know, didn't you work as a stunt double, Joe? Am I remembering correctly I, for a time? Yeah, I was. I was a actor and stuntman in my younger days. And then I became <laughs> a cop. And then I became a therapist. <laughs> so well, that, that's I was the even just mindset. Thinking, yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking about, you know, your experience as a stunt double. And I was even thinking in dancing and how easy it is sometimes for like fear sometimes of your physical safety to get in the way of doing things. And gymnastics is such a big thing when it comes to like that fear of harm and maybe addressing, you know, a wound or having slipped up or the nerve of that. I think of um, Simone, was it Simone Biles during the Olympics? Am yeah. I thinking the right person who stopped? I am curious for a moment, what were your thoughts on that from a psychological perspective? perspective with regard to like protecting your body and at the same time you know as many people complain you know keeping up and um like caring for your team in your country that you're rooting for what were your thoughts in that type of scenario where it could be that she herself might have been kind of you know hitting this mental block in a similar type of situation yeah you know i i I didn't, when I saw it, I didn't dive deeply into it. I didn't really try to analyze it or her too much. 
uh, because we just don't know people's life. You know, we don't know their experience, what stops them from doing things or what makes them do certain things. So I, I guess I could play both sides of the coin with her. You know, in one sense, I, I applaud her, you know, willingness to say, hey, I'm not there. I, I don't I don't want to take this chance, you know, let somebody else take it. And the other side, you know, we have to really accept that we will make mistakes and be okay. Now, easy for me to say, you know, like watching Tom Brady play football on Sundays, right? It's like you expect greatness. But I think what we've got to do with all of ourselves, including our great athletes or our kids who are aspiring to whatever it is, go become priests or go into medical school or or develop athletic prowess, whatever it is, is we've got to teach that it's okay to fall down to make mistakes, right? You know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about the Apostle Peter, right? Jesus is crucified. He rises from the dead. He's having a conversation. And you know what the conversation is? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? (laughs) You know, tend my flock. So we have these wonderful examples from Scripture of people absolutely blowing it, whether it was Peter or any of the other apostles or, you know, Paul, they, they blow it. But God accepts that. He wants us to embrace our weakness and to allow that space for him to move in so that we can be created anew. So that, that's, that's all about resilience. So I think when we can accept that, and again, for some people, it's very difficult because maybe they were had very harsh and critical parents who you know came down at them for getting the B, you know. Uh, but I, I think sometimes we just have to really put more effort in enjoying the journey and not make it about oh I'm going to get a ten on this routine, but I'm going to work really hard. And I, I think that's the sort of the Christian journey. I mean, that's life, is continuing to get back up when we get knocked down. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Caroline called. She wasn't able to stay on the line. Caroline from Chicago called. She said, I'm going through a job search, and because I'm older, I'm afraid to leave my current job. How do I move forward, especially in a different type of job? Well, I think, you know, again, God bless her for doing it. I, you know, I, I never want to use my life as an example because you should never follow me. <laughs> I, I might know a few things, but, you know, I mean, I was an actor and stuntman. I became a cop. I became a therapist. I was on the radio. I've, you know, written and produced music. You have to accept the fact that the brain, this wonderful, magnificent creation, our body, our brain, was designed by God to constantly to learn new things and new skills. So wherever you are, you know, that growth mindset says, I can grow. I can be more than where I am right now and do more than I am. We feel good about our lives when we actually challenge ourselves, when we do things that are difficult. If I did what was just easy, let's just say, you know, oh, I'm going to take a walk around the block rather than run up my stupid hill today. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to get home after taking a walk around the block and say, wow, I really knocked it out of the park. That was really great. I'm not going to feel good about myself. But if I run up the hill when I don't feel like running or when I think, oh, I can't make it, but I do it anyway, that's when we feel really great about ourselves. So we have to be willing to stretch ourselves, those stretch stretch activities. So I I would say, you know, to that woman, go for it, do it, start small, 
but but recognize that God has given you the capacity to actually grow. I think it's awesome. That's Joe Sikor, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at callingsong.com. Joe, I don't want to skip talking, at least for a few moments here, about responsibility. I teased this out on Friday. I was fascinated with the story that broke a couple weeks ago in light of all of the royal news lately that Queen Margaret in Denmark has stripped her four youngest grandchildren of their royal titles. And in the statement that came from the palace, she commented uh, saying things such as she wanted them to have you know, a greater ability to follow their own existence without being limited. And it made me think of responsibility today and how many adults, in particular parents, tend to like to try to take responsibility away from their kids so that they can thrive in other areas, such as I don't want them to have a job in college or high school, or I don't want them to have chores because I want them to thrive in academics. What do you think about this parenting technique of removing responsibility and how is it faring for people today? I think, you know, it's a wonderful dovetail from where we just were into talking about this. We feel really good about ourselves when we do something tough. Not when we do something easy, right? There's a dual side, a dual nature that we have. There's a part of us that seeks pleasure to do what is easy, but that doesn't make us feel good. Actually, what makes us feel good is taking responsibility and doing what is difficult. Now, I know nothing about the queen's business. I don't follow royalty stuff at all. My wife does. She loves it. She goes, oh, I watched 14 hours at the funeral. I was like, oh, wonderful. (laughs) But not me. The hats, Joe, the hats. That's where we're there I know, for. I know. She loves it all. She loves the pageantry and everything else. I, I just go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go do what I hate and take a run. But I, I think <laughs> we deprive our kids of actually really becoming resilient, of, of really becoming who they can be by removing responsibility. Now, in the Queen's thing, I, I don't know. I, I can't judge that if that's a good thing or not. But I would say for the most part, Teach your kids, push them to try new things, to take responsibility, uh, you know, for what they can. Uh, You know, I mean, we could talk about anxiety. Anxiety is trying to take responsibility for things that we can't, right? We get anxious. But those things that we can, take responsibility, make those choices and changes so that you can grow. That's been Joe Sakura here on Trending with Tim, where you can check out his book on happiness. We post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Southern California. Find him at callingsong.com. That's callingsong.com. I post a link on my Twitter and Facebook at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. We'll be right back here on Trending. Still taking some questions, but about relationships. I'll be right back in just a moment. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Welcome back to Trending with Tamara. It's great to be with you. We had a number of questions still coming in, and I didn't want to skip them. So if you have a question, number is 1-888-914-9149. You can always ask your question on Instagram and Facebook during the show. We're happy to take them there. It's always so much fun to interact with you and hear what you guys are thinking about, what you want to hear discussed. So I wanted to take this question. It came in on Instagram. The question is this. Do I break up with my boyfriend over disrespecting my boundaries and being so pushy, or should I try getting him to understand first? Well, when I read this, I think you answered your own question already. I'm just reading and looking at the question. Do I break up with my boyfriend over disrespecting my boundaries? So one, you clearly show that there are boundaries you put up. And two, you then say for being in for being so pushy. So one, he's disrespected boundaries you've clearly made. Two, he's been pushy when you're clearly, if he's being pushy, saying no. Uh, That's different from, you know, two people who are maybe really struggling together uh, with chastity, which I'm guessing that's the type of boundary that you're specifically referring to, or it might be something else. Uh, It could be any number of other things. But I think that you just showed two really big red flags that should answer your own question. He's disrespected your boundaries, one, and two, he's being pushy. Those are red flags that are breakup flags. I don't think those are, hey, let me try to get you to understand. You've already clearly set clear boundaries and he's pushing those boundaries. And if you're writing to me, that means that it's been on more than one occasion. So I would say dump him. And if he wants to try and work things out, he needs to prove himself one day to be worthy of being boyfriend material again. But if he's pushing your boundaries, whether it's early in the relationship or a ways into the relationship, those are really bad signs. So I think that's a pretty simple answer. Although I will just say if there's intimacy, sexual intimacy occurring between the two of you, there's a reason why you're having a hard time saying no. When we engage in sexual intimacy with someone that draws at our emotional, physical heartstrings, and we are literally creating a chemical cocktail, bonding ourselves to that individual, and it makes it more difficult to remove yourself from that type of relationship, and you tend to make more excuses. And I think, you know, I really recommend, especially when making decisions like this, make sure that you're getting your soul right with God. Go to confession. Uh, and if he's Catholic, encourage him to go too. Uh, I think that these are all things that we can do, you know, and make it clear, you know, you haven't respected my boundaries. And I just think this is really unhealthy way to be in a relationship right now. And it's not a relationship I can be in. Done. You don't have to worry about over-explaining yourself. I think sometimes we live in a culture where we think we can just drag conversations on and on and on and on, especially when people think it's okay to text and and make phone calls rather than talking face-to-face. Uh, they say things and prolong text and phone conversations that they wouldn't otherwise say if they were in person. So those are my thoughts on that question. Another Instagram came in from May Sands on Instagram. Can you talk about first dates? What do you pay attention to? Wow, first dates, it's been a while for me. My husband and I have been together, goodness gracious, for 10, 11 years now. I don't know, losing track. Um, But I think this is a great question. First dates, you know, different people have different ways to go about it. Um, I think that first dates need to be casual dates. They need to not have a lot of pressure. I love, um, what is that? The Dating Project. I really love The Dating Project and the professor that came out of the East Coast who set up kind of these guidelines for first dates. And a lot of what she talks about is first date should be simple. If you ask, you pay. I'm old fashioned. I think men should ask. Just saying. Um, And 
you go somewhere public, it really doesn't need to be longer than 45 minutes to an hour. It shouldn't just be an immediate sit-down dinner. And I like that because it takes the pressure off. You're getting to know someone and it really is a recon mission. You're trying to figure out based on very simple, you know, light conversation and chemistry if this is someone you want to go on a few more dates with, which at that point after a handful of dates, you should be able to figure out whether or not you're interested in being exclusive and entering into a relationship that would lead to the discernment of marriage. So what do you talk about on first dates? A lot of people say don't get too serious I think it's just getting to know the person, getting to know, you know, how they interact, how they handle little things, allowing it to be very natural. You know, I think that getting to know a little bit, you know, about their family, you know, where are you from? If you don't already know these questions, what, you know, what did a family of origin look like? You can learn a lot in those very simple questions. Sometimes people share too much, sometimes too little. It's important to not share too much, but I think there are simple questions that can kind of get to know those things. But I, I guess it's been so long since I've been on a first date. I think that keeping it simple and allowing the conversation to flow without revealing too much or asking too much is important. But always pay attention to your gut and red flags. And, you know, I always thought that my sister, one of my younger sisters, when she first uh, went on her first date with her now husband, she laid it down really clear on the first date. You know, (laughs) she said what did and didn't go and she was saving herself for marriage and she had clear boundaries. I always think of our celebrity and royal matchmaker, Christina Pineda, and she said, oh, you don't necessarily have to talk about uh, sex on the first date. And I get it, but I also respected my sister saying, hey, this is where I stand. You know, take me or leave me as as it is. I hope you get it. So I do appreciate that bluntness. I think that's where personality comes into those first date conversations uh, that come up. So, you know, don't overthink first dates. You know, allow the first date to just be a casual getting to know you type of moment in a culture where we think that we have to go really fast right away. Keep it simple. Don't rush. Just watch, listen, pay attention. First dates are a good time to listen as well. But I think some things to pay attention to if they're only talking about themselves red flag. Uh, If they're trying to become physically, uh, sexually intimate in the first, you know, date, red flag. Uh, I think there are a lot of things like that. You know, I also think family of origin things, uh, pieces of information that come up on a first date. You can usually tell if someone starts talking too much about family of origin drama, that's often a red flag to maybe steer a little clearer or cautiously proceed uh, seeing how that might uh, affect the person that you've gone on this first date with and how it affects their day to day. Okay, more questions coming in. I wish we could take all of them them and you can always ask on social media we can take more of these up tomorrow i'm actually really excited tomorrow our guest will be melanie hempy from screenstrong.com if you're trying to take back your life or your kid's life from the digital world screen addiction the tantrums that occur when you say no to a video game or take away the tablet we're going to be talking about that and taking your questions so if you have a question for melanie ahead of time let me know uh, go ahead and write me online on social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You can find me at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Okay, last question. Travis M. Davis asked on Instagram, top three Catholic books, 
Great question. Okay, number one, one of my favorite Catholic books that really had a big impact on me changing the course of everything I studied in school was Theology and Sanity by Frank Sheed. Every Catholic must read this book. It's accessible. It's fantastic. It bridges between theology and philosophy. Second book, Theology of the Body, but stop reading commentaries on Theology of the Body. Read The Incredible General Audiences by Pope St. John Paul II himself. And the third, oh... Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, maybe. It's just an idea. Thanks for being with me today on Trending.